This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Anne Nicholson Weber, and my guests are Devin DeMaio and Heather Gilbert. Uh, Devin has directed and Heather designed the lighting for the production of Everything is Illuminated currently playing at Next Theater. This is a, an adaptation by Simon Block of the novel by Jonathan Safran Vohr. And I think that design is an element that often is difficult for audience members to um, perceive or understand how it was done. It certainly has a huge impact on how they perceive a show, but um, they often, I think, are not as conscious of what made it happen. So this is a show which I think is extremely successfully staged. It's a it's a big world. It's um, an interesting world. And so I hope that we can talk about how you guys made it. And Devin, maybe you could talk um, about just as you were reading. Well, first question, did you read the novel? Uh, I did, but I actually saw the play first. Oh. Um, so I saw the play when I was living in London in 2005 and then uh, read the novel once I got hired to direct the play. Uh-huh, <laughs> so right. So it came years later. For but me. it was seeing the adaptation in London that made you want to do it. Yeah. And absolutely. you brought it to Next? I did. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was the production in London actually, I. I it's funny. I didn't think it was very good, uh-huh. um, but I had a feeling that the script was really. It was good. one of those things where you say, "I want to get a crack at that yeah. and fix it." Yeah, it <laughs> uh-huh. felt like, and I also felt like it was in some ways for the wrong audience because I felt like it was a really American story, and that we mm. connect to that idea of going back um, to find out about our ancestry and that sense of being a country of immigrants is so right. palpable for us. That I I felt like the British audience was appreciating it as something that was a literary a new literary classic, but they weren't feeling it the way yeah. I was. And so, um, so yeah, so I got a hold of the script. Somehow, I have no idea how. I got a hold of a Word document rehearsal draft. I really don't remember how I did that, but I did. Um, and I sort of sat on it for years and just had it with me and knew that it was something that I thought would be really great. Uh, and Jenny and I had a conversation about plays and I said I think I have one that would be really great for you mm. um and so I sent it to her and she emailed me the next day and said this is spectacular let's get a reading together right away so we can hear it out loud um and then yeah soon after that said let's do it and what was it about next that made you think it was suitable um the way I feel like the way I've always heard Jenny talk about the play is that her audience likes to chew on big ideas mm. and that this play was grappling with big ideas. And so even though it's a smaller space, the play has to feel epic in some way. Yeah. And it has to feel like it's asking its audience to engage in questions. Um, and I thought this play did that. Yeah. Well, so now talk about design begins way back at the beginning of time. So talk about how that process works, how you find your designers, and how you work with them in the early stages. Um, well, for this play, it was great because I just got my dream team. So <laughs> I was really happy. Uh, Jenny and I started talking about it, um, gosh, like May of last year. So a while ago. Um and right away, I knew I didn't want to have it be a proscenium show. I knew that I wanted designers who were willing to um, sort of bust through that really framed stage, right. you know, that sort of lifted back from the audience. And I really wanted to break that up. And we felt like in order for people to really embrace this play, they had to somehow relate it to their themselves. So the set design and the lighting design had to sort of carry into the audience in some way. So that was the starting point. And then it was about identifying 
designers who were willing to go that way, you know, mm-hmm. who who would read the play and think in terms of gesture and metaphor rather than thinking, okay, well, this scene set in a car and this scene set in a cafe and this scene set in a hotel. Right. You know, we didn't really want anybody who was going to be literal about it. So, Heather, what are your recollections of kind of where you begin when you look at a script and start thinking in terms of light? Well, I, I Jenny brought me to Devon. Um, when I was working at Next last year on a project. And one of the first things that they told me was that they were interested in, uh, I guess maybe Grant told me really quickly, yeah. that light bulbs uh, were sort of an interesting thing. And I, that's my, that's my thing. I love, um, in my old age, uh, not being, I'm not as interested in the theatrical lighting sources, or if I am, I'm more interested in them uh, because they can do something specific. I want the light source to be a specific choice. And so I, I'm a sort of perfect person. I'm interested in using different kinds of light bulbs on stage. Um, if you, you can look around and see, right. I, we're in my office where there's tons of them, <laughs> um, different kinds. So I came into the project knowing that that was something that, that they were interested in me being a part of. Um, and when you need, it's interesting now, playwrights are writing very cinematic scripts for us in which transformation of space has to be able to happen in an interesting um, and generally magical way. Right. <laughs> you know, we no longer have the ability to create 17 different locations um, with fly houses and right. drops. And so we we find ways to do that. And one of the things that Grant was really interested in was the quality and, and Devin, the quality of light, mm-hmm. um, not just the shape, not just defining a space with light, but also using the different qualities of light. So one of the early things that we started talking about was um, sort of the time development of time and the development of different kinds of light bulbs. So if you when you see the play, there are within the play we use light bulbs. We use some that look like little candle uh, tips, so that they sort of evoke the idea of a candle. And those are for certain times in this epic epic play that we made. Um, and then there are oldie timey looking incandescent light bulbs all the way up to very contemporary LEDs. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a wonderful memory, I think, that Devin Grant and I will always have of we were actually at a Red Orchid Theater in their dressing room and I had all these different light bulbs and I was plugging in different things and holding them up and showing what they did and just sort of experimenting with what what those qualities would bring to the play. Was there um is there something in either the script itself or the book that led you to light bulbs or was it just an idea one of those things you just think or that grant thought of or that Jen, someone of you some, somebody thought of <clears throat> well we definitely knew that the last stage direction was all about everything lighting up and you know yes, and it right. sort of wanted pinpricks of light and we really right away thought we don't want to go the route of little twinkle lights like we just don't it's you know it it could work and it would be beautiful but we want to try something else so grant found this really beautiful these beautiful images of this um art installation that was all hanging light bulbs and people could walk through it and so right away i think that image Mm -hmm. just sent us sort of spinning and was like okay great so if that's our starting point is light bulbs instead of you know the glow of a light, um, then, then how does that take over this world and how does mm-hmm. it inform all our choices? And yeah, he brought those images in, uh, as well as pictures of Cornell boxes. And ultimately these two things merged even more than we necessarily thought they might. And, and, um, one of you needs to, for somebody who might be listening, who doesn't know what a Cornell box is, explain that. And then uh, Devin told me a 
interesting thing about the Cornell Box concept. Yeah, so uh, so Cornell Boxes, there's a huge collection of them at the Art Institute. Um, and Joseph Cornell was an outsider artist who would just take the objects he had around his home and create these um, really beautiful, intricate boxes that would hang on a wall. Um, and inside would be sort of a, um, a collage or a... Uh, I don't know, sort of a little world, you know, that he would create inside these boxes and they were abstract, uh, but he created hundreds of them and they were all just from miniatures that he would find, stuffed birds, uh, magazine cutouts. It was all collage, paste and and sort of assemble. Um, and yeah, and what's interesting is, so Grant brought images of Cornell boxes to me right away on our first meeting for the play and said, this is what I, I feel like I see the set as. I just, I think it's Cornell boxes. And I was I loved that idea because I love Cornell's work. And then also said, did you know Jonathan Safran Foer is obsessed with Joseph Cornell? Um, he took a pilgrimage to Chicago in college to see the Cornell boxes. Um, and he wrote, uh, he wrote and curated a collection of essays about Cornell. So he's been, this is the artist he's most obsessed with. So like it had to happen because it was like, okay, great. So we're channeling the author and we didn't even know it. Right. And, you know, and this, this is probably the set he would design in some ways. So it just felt really great after I think we made that connection. Um, and I really wanted everything in the play to all the props in the play to come from the set. I didn't want uh, us to have to enter on, enter the stage with something. I wanted everything to be visible. So you sort of see the play in front of you before it starts um, and then see how things enter the world. And when, you know, a potato becomes relevant, when a mermaid costume becomes relevant. Um, so that also felt like a great use of the boxes as a way to like display these objects and sort of tell the whole story. And when someone has an idea like the light bulbs or like the Cornell boxes, which just feels right. Do you as the director need to come up with some kind of rationale for why this is fits the text? Or I mean, is it can you just be completely intuitive about it? Or do you feel like you need to somehow rationalize it? Um, I always like to process because uh, I think sometimes you can there can be red herrings, somebody yeah. will have a great idea, and you'll it'll sound so cool when you first hear about it. But then you do need 48 hours to go away and really think about it and reread the text with that idea in mind. Mm -hmm. The only thing I felt like we had to have, and we started talking about this at the first production meeting, was that every design element needed to hit on the contemporary world, um, what I was calling the old world, which is the grandparents, the grandfather, um, the old woman, and then the mythic world, which mm -hmm. is the world of Jonathan's characters. So I felt like all all design elements, sound, lights, props, costumes, had to somehow reference those three worlds. So, so I think with the Cornell boxes, then it became awesome. This is a great idea. Let's just make sure that they don't only represent the old world or that they mm -hmm. don't only represent the mythic world, but that we have a box that has you know, a contemporary boom box and uh, a bunch of CDs and that we have one that has like car parts. So let's make sure that we're still referencing these three worlds at all time. Mm -hmm. And then it's fine. So yeah, so I think I did have to, I do have to process them because sometimes I get really inspired and then I realize, oh, that's not going to actually get us where we need to be. <laughs> and so how do the designers work together? You come in with light bulbs, cool, different light bulbs everybody's looking at. And he comes in with Cornell boxes and presumably props and costumes. So what's that process of integrating look like? We all just instantly started bringing our things in and saying, "What do you? how does this thing work? 
with that. Um, Eileen, who did the props for the show, made would did a lot of the dressing of the boxes, brought a lot of the stuff in, and was creating right. these worlds within the boxes. And I would I went to the hardware store, which is my all time favorite thing to do and bought tons of kinds of light bulbs with uh with my assistant and with my master electrician and uh i came back and i just would see what she would put up and i would find different things that would sort of either felt like it fit or not and then Devin or anybody else would look at that and say could we move that over here how does this thing work you know does it make sense for this light bulb to be here um grant and i worked really closely together on which boxes would have light bulbs at all um and actually rearranged it during tech like you do. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it was, was brought in at those times. We figured out where things could go. So this, this group, and then of course I, I as a lighting designer work very closely with sound in terms of creating the transitions where there's music and lights that move together to convey passage of time or no passage of time or whatever it is that we need to do. And also in this one, we have the, I was joyous, uh, creation of lightning and thunder together. Oh, right. So, <clears throat> yes. yeah. You have to work closely scene, right. for lightning and thunder. Right. Is there a the, schema, like the, these light bulbs are on when we're in this world? And, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. they are. So there are certain scenes in which they are in, um, uh, they're in the car and there are elements of car parts and I light the box that has those. There are also some where they are in, say, a restaurant. And in that one, I lit, um, I use fluorescence and that, so then it becomes more about what that light bulb is. Mm -hmm. This is the kind of light bulb that might happen in that place. Um, we use LEDs in the train station. There's a nastiness to that. It's kind of overbright. It feels disconnecting. It's not pretty. So again, and then there's finally the, the, there are times when they're driving in the car, for instance, I also light something that had butterflies Mm -hmm. because to Mm -hmm. me, that was like, oh, that's potentially what's out the window. And it's a, I don't think the audience is thinking that ever, but that's sort of how we did that. Mm-hmm. And then the final thing is sometimes it's just compositional. There would be times when Devin would say, hey, what if we lit that something in that box so that it has a sense of the shape of the stage shifts right, right now? It's a quite a wide stage for yes. a relatively shallow mm-hmm. house. What kind of challenges does that create for either of you, you for you, Devin, staging it and for you, Heather, lighting it? Uh, yeah, it's a it's a really wide space. And uh, and our rehearsal space was six feet uh, shallow of the actual width of the space. So we were also rehearsing in a space that wasn't as wide as the you stage. You had six new feet when you moved exactly. into the theater. Yeah. Uh-huh. So so that was really interesting because in the rehearsal space, it felt like anything we put upstage felt really far away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we moved into the space, it we felt like it, everything shifted. You know, mm. it just, it, it totally changes. Um but I think with the, yeah, with the width, what we, I loved our choice of really Grant's idea of having these side boxes, mm-hmm. um, because I felt like it helped enclose the space in a way. And because we had lights in that, in those boxes as well, it sort of kept pushing your attention back to the stage, um, in a way that that space doesn't normally allow. It mm-hmm. sort of normally just goes black towards the walls. Right. So it feels even more <laughs> expansive and vast and sort of carries you out. But it is, it is really wide and, <laughs> It is. <laughs> and there's not much around, especially when you have an actor like Alex Goodrich, who's six foot four. Um, so you also have somebody really tall in this really wide space. And, uh, and so it, I mean, we just played with it, I think. So Heather, going back, you talked about using the light for composition, you know, I guess just basically like the balance. It feels right. Is that essentially what you're saying? Sometimes. It's also sometimes when, um, it's, uh, 
sort of what demos are talking about. Like when you want to create, when you want to push the audience's attention back to something, mm-hmm. oh, when you want it to feel very small. So for instance, um, at the beginning of the second act, we take all the light out of the boxes because we want to push the audience's attention away from that, that part of the world. When we enter the, the cottage, is that well, what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so, and also because we've created a new box at that point, mm-hmm. but um, it all pushes up there. So, right. so we definitely as lighting design, and even if I'm using only theatrical lights on a play, um, I'm definitely aware of the fact that I am given an entire set and my job is to figure out when we see all of that and when we don't see all of that. Mm-hmm. And that's very much in consultation. I try, I try set designers to ask my set designers before I make my light plot if there's something, this one was pretty obvious, but if there's something that they were envisioning. Yeah. Because I know they are. Mm-hmm. And I would much rather have that conversation with them ahead of time than have them sort of be sad but later and not tell me. It. There's no light there. <laughs> so ta- just... Quickly explain what a light plot is and how you how you do it. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, I compare lighting design, um, when I talk to my students in particular, I talk about how it's like making a painting. So if I were Van Gogh and I were painting um, Starry Night, I would know going into it kind of what I wanted it to look like, right? And I would, I would have, you know, I would bring my brushes and I would bring my paints in order to make that happen. And then as I make it, I'm going to, to change that a little because I'm going to say, oh, this looks better this way. And for a lighting designer, it's sort of the same idea. I know what I want it to look like through conversations with the director, through conversations with the set designer. So I can figure out, like, if I want to paint this, if this wall, for instance, on a set, if I suddenly want to turn that purple, I know how big that wall is. So I know, then I figure out how many lights have to point at that wall, what kind of lights have to point at that wall, what gel I have to put in them to point at that wall. And I start to figure out that list, just like if I were making a painting. What are all of my tools that I need? A lot of what we do, my light plots are often due um, the day rehearsal starts. So you haven't seen no ever. the really important element of seeing the actors and having mm-hmm. them inhabit it. Inevitably, in te- when we na- we talk about the play, right? Designers and directors love to sit and talk about the play forever. <laughs> We're total dorks about it, but inevitably, once those actors are in the play. It's a whole different thing. We suddenly mm-hmm. realize that we missed huge things, huge elements, because we haven't seen it inhabited yet. Right. And once they come in, so there's often times that we want to change. Do you, do you, in terms of going back to the idea of how you integrate the design, the different designs, um, do you, is there some, are there common elements you have to agree on? Like, I mean, one obvious one would be color, well, except for sound, but I mean, do you have to say that the palette for this show are these colors or the palette for these three worlds are those colors? I mean, what is that discussion like? You know, it's funny. I, as the lighting designer, am almost least in that conversation, even though people assume that we are more, because I tend to light people with white light, elements of white light. They're not, it's not pure white. There's but Otherwise, it's too part. strong of a of a statement. They turn right. green or they turn red or something. Right. Is that what you mean? Green people on stage. <laughs> right. You have to are, mean it. Yeah, you really have to commit to that choice. Right. First of all, you have just made all of your actors look terrible. Right. Um, and also, I if I decided I wanted to light everything red all of a sudden, I have just stolen everybody else's ability to do anything. Because my red light will win every time. Uh-huh. Right. Sound, can, sound has equivalence to that. Right. Like thunder, for instance. You know, we can we can take the subtlety away. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I guess it ultimately is what is your job in storytelling? Um, is it my job to tell that part of the story? But with this group of people, everyone was really communicative. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like working, like you and Grant were working together all the time on this. And yeah. Sort of bringing things to me as a team and saying, okay, here's what we're looking at. And then same with Eileen, our props designer and Grant, that they were bringing things in. And then Eileen and Miko were working really integral 
you know, with costumes and props. So, um, so everyone was having conversations and I think being really thoughtful too. Is does bringing yeah. in mean literally to a meeting and putting something on the table or does it mean sharing images on the internet or what, what does it mean? Oh, good question. All of those things. <laughs> yeah. Um, in the beginning, it, it was very much about um, images on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, Grant brought these great initial images to us and then we all figured out like what is in and Devin talks about them and then her thoughts about them. And that is, you know, we go out then and we figure out how that the world that these images define, what are the other things that fit into that world? Mm-hmm. Right. So we figure that stuff out. And sometimes we're in a dressing room and I'm holding up a LED light bulb and a fluorescent light bulb. And sometimes it's a picture of something. So it really depends on the production, but also the sort of the state that you're in in the production as well. Um, some of the props are literally, they start to get brought in for real. Um, and sometimes mm-hmm. there's, you know, God love the camera phone. Because now they can take pictures and say, what do you think of this idea, this yeah. thing I just saw? Yeah. Um, especially with a piece like this where where I think any play has some element of props that are – I don't really like the term. I don't like a lot of terms. I don't like the term set dressing all that much because it sounds like it, – it sounds not – like it's not integral to the world then. Mm-hmm. But it would be the pieces that are – not necessarily used by the actors, but to define the world in which right. they live. Right. Um, and those pieces, there's, I think, more freedom because they don't have to be, they are not defined by the text necessarily. This person has to pick up. We have a flashlight. That's sort of our ongoing thing right now because they use flashlights in this beautiful moment in the play. Mm. And Alex Goodrich stands on stage and he shines his over the audience and we don't want to blind them. So we have this. This flashlight that was dying, and we were so in love with this dying flashlight, and we can't figure out how to keep, keep a it dying, dying flashlight. Just the right amount of <laughs> <Okay>. dead, <laughs> right? It has died, so. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, and that was not anticipated. We didn't know that that right. was something until it happened, and right. we loved it. So much of it seems like it's just fortuitous. It's just something comes into the room at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. The goal is that you know what the rules are of this world, of this play. You know what they are. And then you figure out what fits in there. And then the director, and Devin is really good at this, is putting out those big ideas. We all come together, put all of our stuff out, and we say, as a group, you know, I put the lights up, everybody else, everybody does their thing. And then Devin gets to say, that doesn't fit in this world. Mm -hmm. That does fit in this world. Hey, that fits in this world more than we thought. Maybe we should make this thing fit more like that thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is ultimately the director's job, is to be the arbiter of, like, what is it that totally fits? And are you using adjectives when you're talking to your designers? Are you saying, okay, so it's going to be really, I mean, this is not relevant to your play, but really misty and it's going to be, I I don't know. Are they visual adjectives? Are they concepts? What do you use to convey, to give them a starting point other than three worlds, old, contemporary, mythic? I mean, did you do more than that? Did you say the mythic world is different because it's more vibrant or it's more faded or whatever. Yeah. When we started talking about, I, I, I don't know how much I use adjectives. I tend to talk about action a lot more. Mm. Um, so I tend to use more, uh, talking more about like, what did it, what is, what's happening in the scene? And so why, you know, how can the design be evocative of what the turmoil is of the scene? So what, give an example, just pick a scene. What might um, you have said? Well, like when we talked about the mythic world and sort of, uh, which is the the characters that Jonathan's creating um, I in his book that be, he's writing right. on stage? So, yes, yeah, he's writing right. this book on stage. He's created these characters, and they're from you know seventeen eighteen hundreds. Um, and so I didn't want them to seem precious at all, and so I didn't and I didn't want it to seem uh, fairy tale at all. 
So those are adjectives. Those are adjectives. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but instead, I think what we talked about, especially with sound design for those, mm-hmm. was how do we make it feel like um, we kept talking about like the pulse of a heartbeat um, and electricity and those ideas of connecting those to the mythic world. And so then ultimately we decided um, to always have the light bulbs flickering with sort of a sense of this is the spark of an idea. This is somebody, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. on the cusp of writing something. So that it had that sense of Jonathan, you know, of his imagination driving him to write and him actually creating something and putting it on the page um, rather than sort of living in the world of the mythic character, you know, yes. so that it was, it was more about what he was trying to accomplish in that moment. Um, and we ended up with um, Bella Laika music that we really loved because it has that like that felt a sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it pushed those scenes and it, it g- gave them a bit more drive rather than feeling like uh, like they were. Yeah, we originally had looked at Prokofia for the for the sound design of those moments, but it did it felt too fairy tale mm. um, and it didn't feel active. So it was for us then shifting and saying, okay, well if we want this to drive the actors and to drive Jonathan's. Um, you know, impulse to write. And for me, as, you know, wrestling with these two storylines, I felt like with the actors and with the design, the the important thing was that these things could not happen if they didn't happen at the exact same time. So if Jonathan doesn't write this story now, while he's on in the Ukraine, while he's finding track and broad, he'll never write it. Like that that was the urgency that had to exist mm. and the stakes that had to exist for these characters. Um, so that the the mythic world felt as urgent as like what's actually happening with the grandfather and you know and those that's hard I think because one feels um, different than the other which right. you know is <clears throat> particularly given the the seriousness and the the kind of searingness of this the modern story yeah absolutely and what, yeah what's happening there yeah so I think for that that's where that was a good example of like mm-hmm. I wanted the design to be active and be about action yeah yeah and well, it looks beautiful so. Send all I doubt. Thanks very much for joining me to talk about it. Thanks. Yeah, thank you.